Welcome to A Culture of Innovation. We interview exceptional leaders who embrace and demonstrate innovation, hear their stories, and listen as we explore turning ideas into tangible ways to create value and cultivate innovation as a way of life. Listen and be inspired as an innovative leader. Together, we shape culture and change the world. Culture of Innovation is brought to you by Ridge Innovative, where we practice innovation with a purpose to help companies use technology and breakthrough strategies to achieve business outcomes. And I'm your host, Nancy Ridge. And today I am absolutely thrilled to introduce our guest, Tiffany Bova. Welcome, Tiffany. Oh, thank you for having me, Nancy. So excited. Now I'm going to share just a portion of your bio, but for our listeners, the full range of her experience and contributions you can find them on her website. So please visit at www.tiffanybova.com. So Tiffany is the chief growth evangelist at Salesforce and the author of Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Growth IQ, Getting Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. Bova has been named to the latest Thinkers 50s list of world's top management thinkers and is a welcome guest on networks such as Bloomberg, MSNBC, and Yahoo Finance. She also contributes to publications including Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and many others. She is a change maker whose thought-provoking and forward-thinking insights have made her a frequent guest on a variety of industry-leading podcasts and live broadcasts. No stranger to podcasts, Tiffany hosts What's Next with Tiffany Bova, an iTunes all-time business management bestseller and top sales podcast. So you can see why we're excited that she's here today. Tiffany is also a highly sought-after keynote speaker, having delivered over 500 keynote presentations on sales transformation and business model innovation to over 400,000 people on six continents. Prior to working with Salesforce, she was a sales, marketing, and customer service executive for startups, as well as Fortune 500 companies. She's been an innovator for go-to-market models for cloud-based solutions and indirect channel strategies. She joined Gartner, becoming a distinguished analyst and research fellow where she won the Thought Leadership Award and earned accolades from the best leaders in the technology world for her cutting-edge analysis and her skill at architecting bold new strategies for sales and growth. And being a high-powered professional salesperson myself who has always loved this profession, I am really um, very thrilled to have a chance to ask Tiffany questions. The hardest part was trying to narrow down how many questions I wanted to ask. <laughs> oh, and one thing, Tiffany's also a big fan of one of my favorite authors and thought leader, Seth Godin. Uh, and Tiffany, I'm, I'm jealous. I think you probably count him as a mentor. I do. I do. And, and uh, he's just a, a, a wonderful human being. Yeah, I, I get so inspired by him every day with his little blog. So let's dive in. What is one example of innovation you've seen great uh, deliver great business outcomes? Boy, you know, the, I don't know how you could pick one, but I <laughs> in the last 12 months, um, 14 months during this pandemic, I've seen so much innovation happening, you know, whether it's how quickly we were able to get the pharmaceutical companies to get, uh, you know, vaccines out, like amazing innovation, innovation in supply chains, 
you know, when everything stopped, it's like, I don't think anyone anticipated how much impact it was going to have and the ripple effect it would have in so many parts of the globe around getting supplies and parts for different kinds of, you know, technology or, or manufacturing or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. uh, and even food, if you will. But right. also, sorry, go ahead. No, no, right. Absolutely. Just getting your food delivered to your door. Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, or or how much food was wasted because the supply chain shut down and it was very early in the pandemic. And I read a story that it was multiple millions. I think it was like a million pounds of um, potatoes were just thrown into a landfill. And, you know, what what a shame. But it was because the supply chain broke down. So no one was showing up to pick up the potatoes. And then right. that farmer had no ability to do anything with them because they'd never had a situation like that. And so, you know, how and how quickly he was able to innovate so that the next time that happened, he actually put something up on Facebook and created a group and people could come and pick them up and buy them, you know, outside of the normal, you know, one trucking company would pick up all the potatoes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so something, you know, I, I feel like we've seen so much in the last 14 months around, you know, how to educate our kids better, not perfect, but better, you know, getting better all the time and, and things like uh, the supply chain I just mentioned. So that's hard for me to say one, um, but I feel like it's been great to see companies pull together uh, over the last, you know, year, like I said, um, to try to innovate to solve these big problems. Absolutely. And to see the human spirit kind of rise in all that too. Absolutely. absolutely. We can collaborate with each other to solve these problems on the spot. And, you know, I know we can all agree that the pandemic accelerated innovation. I mean, the examples you just gave were, as you mentioned, just a few, accelerated it digitally, culturally even, and on a global scale. So bringing it back down to the sales perspective, Uh, What are the top three things we should adopt right now in our transformed market? Well, overnight, field sellers became inside sellers and everybody started selling from everywhere, right? Anywhere, everywhere. Um, And I don't think that that will go back to the way that it used to be, nor do I think it sort of stay where it is now. I think it's going to kind of fall somewhere in between. And we did some research that found it was, you know, some a large percentage of sellers actually don't believe that things will go back, that the changes that have been made will be permanent. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out ways to really think differently about the usage of technology, not just a way to, you know, do forecast and pipeline management and contact management, but really using technology in ways to bring forth kind of the next best action or what you should be doing uh, with what kinds of particular customers, uh, even real-time coaching, you know, integrating video and voice uh, into what it is that you're doing and capturing so that you can just be smarter as a seller. You know, we think that like the the high performing sellers of today are the ones that master the usage of technology. You know, Mm -hmm. if you are a seller and you're really struggling uh, today to hit quota or to follow up on all the things you need to do and you feel like you're spending so much time on the busy work, that's where technology can really help you. So Embracing that as a way to assist your uh, quota attainment versus looking at it as a way the company wants to replace you, um, <laughs> a much better approach to the future of selling and the more modern seller, if you will. Yeah. And also, I think, too, you know, how you can better serve your customer because they're going through the same process on their side of the equation, right? Well, you really overnight, as I said, field sellers became inside sellers and customers became remote, right? So digital selling and digital buying 
overnight, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of resistance on the digital transformation for a long time. As you mentioned, I used to work at Gartner and for a decade, it was talking about, we really need to make these investments in technologies. And it was always like, yeah, it's on our list. It's a priority for next year. We're going to get to it. We have to do this first. And maybe some of those investments weren't made. Uh, And especially in the selling organization, it's not, it, it doesn't tend to get the same kind of rigor in how can we optimize the way we sell because nobody wants to disrupt the revenue engine right. at the time that you're selling, right? So that innovation um, and transformation while at the same time hitting numbers is, is challenging. I loved what you just said, you know, recognize there are now digital buyers as well as digital sellers. That's fantastic. That's a mindset. I love that. So I've heard the Microsoft version of CRM described as art with the Salesforce approach described as science. How do you see the shift to science in sales changing the human side of the relationships? And does the increasing value that we find in that science support, quote unquote, the art of sales? Or, you know, you just mentioned we're, we're probably not going back. Does that mean sales culture is forever changed? It does. And I would say that I don't think Salesforce sells technology. I think we sell change. And change is really hard. You you used to do it this way. We think you can do it much better if you do it that way. And, you know, if you look across and kind of take an inventory of the entire sales process, it isn't just about automating that. It's about, is that the same sales process we need? We built it pre-pandemic. Now we're post-pandemic and the sales process is very different. You know, it's not like, oh, you go and show up and you have a meeting and then here's your follow-up. Well, now it's a, you know, it's a video meeting or it's a, you know, a phone call. It's not a physical meeting. So does that change something? And so I don't know if I'd, I'd say it, one is an art and one is a science, because I'd say the art and science is in everything that you do around technology, right? It's the imagination on the art mm-hmm. side of what's possible. Mm-hmm. And the science side is how do we take the information we're getting out of our technology systems using AI and machine learning and things like that to give us uh, more insights when we show up in front of a customer. So I always think it's a combination of both. I don't think it's one or the other. I'm glad to hear you say that because having been a professional seller my whole career, I, I really don't like the idea of you know being in a pure science environment. Although I love tech, I, I mean, I think we can be creative through, through the use of technology. Well, you know, I think that it, you know, listen, it has to be rooted in curiosity of how can we do this? I I need to be first willing to disrupt myself, right? Mm. Number one. Number two, I need to be willing to disrupt the process or the sales process. And once again, those are very hard things, but it's really about kind of falling in love with the failure of it might not work. So, (laughs) you know, ultimately that's the kind of art side of it, right? Let's try it. If it doesn't work, we iterate, we keep going. Mm-hmm. The science side of it is, you know, look, we've analyzed, you know, all that's happened in the last, you know, hundred deals. And we know that these are the three things that we need to do every single time. And the data is telling us that now, those are two very different things. Um, and it doesn't mean once you do one or the other that you're finished, it's this continuous journey on um, making sure that you're not only trying new things, but you're taking advantage of the insights um, to be smarter every day. That's awesome. Um, you know, the there's more that kind of plays into this too, in terms of, you know, now we're really looking at how we please customers in these environments. That's always should be at the center, I think, of what we're up to. And 
uh, Forbes Insights in conjunction with Salesforce. In fact, it was through following you on social media that I found this report, uh, released this amazing study last year titled The Experience Equation, How Happy Employees and Customers Accelerate Growth. And you were quoted in that report as saying, the fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get employees to love their jobs. I love that. And of course, you know, the hard data is in the report. Yet organizations still seem slow to change, especially in my view in the mid-market. And they're still plagued, of course, with overworked employees, people learning how to work at home, not to work too hard, you know, to be productive, but not uh, never put the work down. Um, they're also learning and finding that lack of empathy, I think, for what people have gone through. It's like, oh, we're over it now. Um, and still experiencing, I mean, people are still experiencing a, a lot of disruption. And of course, worst of all, the shocking figures that show how women are especially hard hit due to the inequality in their responsibilities in caring for family members. So back to the report, how can these important findings get more attention and better yet, get action from leadership who themselves earn my empathy for chasing revenue and trying to recover and retool? Well, I think that there's a couple of things. One is there's been so much talk about the power of customer experience. And from me, you know, like I've been right. saying it for well over a decade, the customer experience is the new battleground. We always need to focus on the customer, customer first, customer centricity, like whichever term you want to use. Uh, and I think what it did was it neglected who's delivering that experience. It's people on the other side, right? So people design products that gets an experience for a customer, right? I mean, is the product easy to use or not easy to use? That That's an experience. And so if someone designing products is not happy with their job or, you know, not inspired or doesn't feel supported or whatever it is, maybe they, you know, design a product that's kind of lazy. It has impact. Mm -hmm. Or if someone is in a call center and once again, they don't have all the tools they need. They have to log into five systems to answer a very quick question. And, you know, it takes them more time. The customer gets frustrated. The employee feels like they're yelled at all day because mm -hmm. it takes them so long to get an answer. That's not a great experience for the customer, driven by sort of what's happening at the employee level. So I had, an, I had a hypothesis that I was saying on stage that I didn't think that it was any coincidence that Salesforce is one of the best places to work in the world. I think it's number one in like 17 countries and the rest of the world, it's like in the top five or top Amazing. three. And then two is we're one of the most innovative companies. You know, others say this about us, not us. And then third, we're, you know, the fastest growing enterprise software company. I didn't think that was a coincidence that our people were really happy. We innovated very quickly um, and we were growing faster than market. So we went out and did a research study. And sure enough, we found that brands that do those two things really, really well have 1.8x growth rate of those that don't. And um, so for a billion dollar brand, it's a $40 million impact. So if you're a small business, you can sort of do the math, but, the, but those are easy fixes. And so, you know, really focusing in and saying it's employee first and then customer centricity, that those two things have to come together, that one, uh, that customer experience will not happen without employee experience, but it doesn't work in reverse. Right. Like, yeah. I love that point. It's so important. Yeah. So if you think about that, um, there's lots of things that 
companies are not doing today. Like we talk a lot about, oh, let's make sure we collaborate between sales and marketing. You know, let's make sure we collaborate between sales, marketing and customer service or customer success, whatever it might be called. But rarely do you hear, you know what? We need to pull in IT and HR together mm -hmm. because they're the ones creating, right? The employee experience. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure we're giving them everything they need. And especially now going back to what we were just talking about, working from anywhere, selling from anywhere, servicing from anywhere. It's really success from anywhere um, requires very different kinds of technologies and collaboration tools and teaming. And, you know, you want to make sure people feel connected. That's all mm -hmm. part of that employee experience um, in order to, uh, you know, double down on making sure that customer is front and center. So, you know, I just think that there's so much to be said there. And interestingly enough, we saw big percentages um, of companies that just don't do that connection between IT and HR with the employee uh, sort of satisfaction experience in mind. Um, and there's blind spots where they're either really focused on CX or they're really focused on EX, but they're not focused on both. Right. Yeah. And do you see IT and HR as being um, a possible bridge between those gaps? They have to be, right? And it, and it has everything to do with like who you hire, how you hire them, how you onboard them, right? Now you're onboarding people who may never meet the people they work with face-to-face -face right? for a bit of time. And so how do you get them, you know, involved in the company quickly so they feel like they belong and people care and, you know, they have what they need and all, you know, so it's who you hire, how you hire, how you onboard and making sure that they have everything. And it's not just about technology, right? It's right. health and safety, it's well-being, it's burnout, it's, you know, collaboration, it's, um, you know, do we get together? Can we get together? How do we collaborate? You know, all those kinds of things have, have a measurable impact to how satisfied a customer is. I mean, yeah, working at a, I'm sorry, an employee is working at a, at a company. Yeah. I, I, I just, uh, there's so much in this and I've talked to some of the CIO CEOs that I get to work with and they get excited about the findings and everybody agrees with that on a high level. But then when you get into, you know, the actual mechanics of, of looking after your employees in this new environment, it can be really challenging. One of the tools that I've seen that's been really helpful that's gaining some traction is emotional intelligence training to help employees find ways to self-manage, if you will. Um, and at the same time, if that's offered to them through an HR function or through their organization, it's to me, that's a real... Uh, demonstration of caring on behalf of the organization that says, I care about you on the inside. Yeah. And what you need to be successful, right. you know, you made a decision to work here. Uh, I want to make sure that you have, you know, a, a good experience. Yes. And how, how do you feel every day? Cause the vicious cycle, you know, we see is, uh, you know, some of these, uh, many of these companies that are disrupted aren't doing as well as some of the others who have pivoted quickly and are figuring it out and they're still beholden, you know, to make their numbers. And so as customer experience suffers with breakdowns of systems that are changing rapidly, employees are asked to, take care of those clients and the burnout develops because all the other stuff that isn't automated yet is waiting for them when they've done their marathon of customer service. And so that to me is that the backwards formula, you know, trying to serve the customer first and the employee last. Yeah. And listen, you know, to quote my friend, Tom Peters, you know, what it's people, what else is there? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he's great, by the way. I got to listen to him on one of your podcasts and he was very bottom line. <laughs> He's a lot of fun. Like you have no question about what he thinks. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I have to say, I agree with him. You know, I think the last bottom line I heard him say was, you know, don't be a jerk. I'm kind of cleaning it up a little bit, but. <laughs> yes. Yes. <That's> said. <laughs> so, um, by the way, I, I love your book, Growth IQ. It's sitting right. It's in my hand at the moment. It sits on my desk and it has all those little, you know, colored stickies on different pages. <laughs> But in this fabulous book, you you cite customer experience as one of the 10 growth paths. And I want to dive a little bit further into this since we're talking about it, because, you know, that that narrow view of drivers that compel it, yeah, that compel good customer experience. I'm wondering if you're seeing new solutions to these challenges. And, you know, just to cite for those who maybe haven't read the book, and I recommend that you go out and get it if you haven't already. Um, you cite three areas in particular. One, um, they don't agree on what compelling customer experience is. Two, they don't have KPI to manage and track performance against. And three, there's no one owner, but many roles, people or functions responsible for parts and pieces. So I'm curious if you are seeing this expansion of technology, like you mentioned a little while ago about a call center situation where you know, somebody's trying to go through different, navigate different software solutions that can be solved today, you know, through technology. We have machine learning, we have AI that's becoming developed, but do you feel we're still too fragmented or, you know, maybe innovative leadership isn't quite there yet to solve some of these challenges? Well, I don't think we have a technology problem. Uh, there's no shortage. I mean, you know, when I began um, my journey on the World Wide Web, uh, it was back in 1999. I was working for a web hosting company all the way from 99 to 2004. I was a local, a Loquas beta client and constant contacts beta client. It was a long time ago, but I'll tell you that back then, you know, we sort of were watching the Martech stack, right? The marketing technology stack, uh, including sales. And let's call it, maybe there was a dozen technologies. It's actually back when I met Seth Godin, when he had written Purple Cow. And so, you know, it was, Maybe there was, there was a loqua, there was constant contact. There was, you know, there, you could sort of name them. There was 10 or 12. There's 8,700 right now that are tracked. Uh, It doesn't mean there's not, you know, could be millions, but 8,700 that are tracked. So there's no shortage of technology. So, I mean, you can split the hair of a buyer journey and a sales process and a customer service journey and whatever you want to call it, no shortage. So why is it that people still struggle, struggle to, know their customers and have integrated systems and, um, you know, serve up to sellers, like what the next best action is, or, you know, give capabilities uh, for customers to communicate in various channels. Like I could give a thousand examples. Why mm-hmm. is that? If the technology is available, why not? And so some of it is, you know, if you're a small business, it's really difficult to transform and innovate while you're sort of trying to keep the business afloat. You have to give yourself the time and to, to actually reimagine how can I start to deconstruct my processes and improve it using technology. And uh, that isn't always a skill set that entrepreneurs might have. So, you know, go to a third party, look externally, hire someone on a short-term project to come in and focus on it. But the investment will pay dividends. 66% of the seller's time is spent on non-selling activities, non-selling activities. So, 
and, and half your sales force or 55% is going to miss their quota. There's a lot of room for improvement already. So once again, it's not a technology problem. Why are they spending so much time on non-selling activities? I mean, geez, we hire them to sell. We pay them a lot to sell. And yet only 35% of their time is spent selling. Yeah, it's an ongoing issue. And, you know, one of the things that I always um, advise my clients is as business leaders, especially in the SMB space, but even in that mid-market space, you have to get off the hamster wheel, you know, just that running all the time and, and make a concerted effort to work on the business rather than in the business. And that's when those things come into play, what you just described, you know, going to that third party. But I, I believe it takes intention. And, you know, behind that, honestly, Tiffany, I think his heart is just a desire to be of service to that client, to really want to deliver a good customer experience. Um, for me that, you know, that is the biggest driver and for the salespeople, you know, I think if they had salespeople in general, I found, and I, I've been in sales my entire career, you know, sometimes it's, uh, still confronting even for the best salespeople to get down there in the nitty gritty and, you know, do the work of talking to customers and facing those no's and that rejection and they'll find anything else to do to avoid that. So the more I think business leaders can make it appealing and make it in some respects, you know, safe and fun and creative for salespeople to get out there and, and do what they do best, you know, have conversations because really that's what sales is, right? Is conversations. I I think that, you know, that's really the direction we want to try to find ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, I, I want to give a little, and I'm not saying you weren't, but I, I want to give a little bit more credit to sellers. Like at the end of the day, I, I think one of the big adoption of technology problems for sellers is it's viewed as a way to measure and manage my productivity every second of every minute of every day of every week of every month mm-hmm. of every quarter. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a way my manager knows what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like, did you make your hundred calls? Did you send out these three proposals? Like what's happening in your pipeline? It's all input and report based. And we have to flip that mindset that the value coming out of a CRM system like Salesforce or anything else is the output has to be so valuable that the sales rep feels like the input is worth the time. Mm, They feel like the input is just about productivity metrics and not value for them. They're less inclined to do it, right? So Mm. for example, I enter in all the deals I have and every Thursday I have a call with my manager, you know, a forecast call with my manager. And my manager runs through all the deals with me and asks me what's going on with the deals. Well, okay. I spent four hours entering all the information in preparation for my forecast meeting, saying all the things that were going on in the deal, and my manager didn't look at it. So my manager is acting like we don't even have the CRM system, that we're still running it off a Excel spreadsheet and Post-it notes and a little bubble gum. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that means that if... So now what I'm, I'm totally you know, frustrated that I spent all that time entering it. And they're asking me questions about what I entered versus they look at it ahead of time, maybe create a report and then they hone in on two or three and they spend more time coaching me and advising me versus going through things they can find the answer to on their own. Mm -hmm. So something that simple that the manager is basically telling the seller, yeah, you spent four hours on it and I'm not going to look at it. So, but you have to put it in there because if it's not in there, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't count mm-hmm. or you won't get paid. So, you know, it really requires uh, management to also get off 
of just thinking about it as a productivity metric machine. Right. And really about sort of the power of everything that AI, machine learning, voice, video, just-in-time actions, prediction, all of personalization, all those things we talk about, like that should get sellers excited about the fact that I'm using technology. Remember what I said a number of minutes ago, like high performers are beating others because they're better at using technology. Right. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love flipping that mindset because you're right. Uh, most sellers do look at those CRM tools as being, you know, kind of big brother. And that's really, you know, looking at it from the wrong angle. But the responsibility, again, falls on our leaders to know how to use the tools and be willing to stretch themselves. Um, I love that example of, you know, let's just hone in on a few key areas and use it as a time for coaching and for supporting and enabling that salesperson. That's awesome. Does, okay, so this, you, I might have walked right into an obvious question, but does Salesforce offer that type of training and guidance for its users? Well, there's a couple of things. We actually have something called Trailhead. Uh-huh. It's our yeah, I've our, heard of Trailhead. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. our online learning management platform. And I recommend all of you who are listening, whether you're a Salesforce customer or not, to go to Trailhead and take some trails. It's it's a little bit obvious in, in its description, but you earn badges with each trail you take and you can become a ranger. And it's very sort of think Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, you know, go on a hike and there's signs along the way, and you, you know, how are you gonna do it? And so you can pick a trail and I want to go really deep in um you know, uh, door opener, like how to get better at door opening. I want to be a better storyteller. I want to learn what the fourth industrial revolution is. Hey, what's the difference between, um, AI and machine learning? Uh, like we have all that kind of, of stuff in there, information in there that you can take those trails. Then we also have those that are very specific to our technology, right? How to use sales cloud, you know, how to, uh, you know, create, a a new customer or a new task or, you know, so the very tactical of how to use it. And now we've embedded into Salesforce, uh, some of it's coming uh, is out, some of it's coming out this year, where that just-in-time learning is popping up. So for example, uh, it may record a call and not and really record a call to give you coaching. Like, okay, Tiffany, it was a 30-minute call and you you at, you talked for 27 of the 30 minutes. So the coaching would be, how do you ask better questions and listen, right? That would be the coaching. Mm-hmm. And so it's using the technology to give that just-in-time coaching or, you know, this, this deal fell off. Okay, here's some just-in-time coaching to get a deal back on track. And so, you know, that is where the intelligence is getting smarter and smarter underneath, um, you know, from an automation standpoint. Uh, and I think this is the first time, at least, you know, I've been in and around selling technology for over 25 years. This is the first time I've felt like the CRM category has caught up to what sellers would have always wanted it to be able to do. Now the trick is getting them to use it. Yes. Yes. Those are some awesome nuggets. Thank you so much. And I couldn't agree more because being a seller for many years myself and on the management side, I looked at CRM really as a tool to provide me data and reporting to do a better job from a strategic standpoint. And, you know, sitting on the seller side of the table, I really love that perspective. So thank you for that. Those were some great nuggets. And it kind of segues into 
really the last, well, almost last question I wanted to ask today, which is around ecosystems. You know, they're, they've been described as the next frontier of digital transformation. And according to Accenture, 74% of enterprise CEOs know they need to execute ecosystem as a strategy. Yet it seems like many still see themselves at the center and they often create monolithic ecosystems rather than a true approach. And I get it. Ecosystems are complex. There's lots of challenges. But I'm curious how you see ecosystems in the growth path context and maybe how organizations can avoid some of these pitfalls. Well, so there's two things. You know, ecosystems kind of the classic partnership, like, you know, one plus one equals three is, you know, we do this, this other company does that. And if we sort of work together, the customer would have a much better experience with our two products, you know, working together, if you will. Yes. There's the, that's kind of the obvious, but what I've been really inspired to see lately is one I call coopetition, where it, it might be someone you view as a partial competitor and maybe some parts of your business, but a head-on competitor, not so much. But once again, if you put the customer's experience uh, front and center, then you may work with a competitor. So we develop this, they develop that. And even though there's a little bit of overlap, we know that we have a, a good chunk, you know, 50, 60% of our customers use both our technology. Maybe we should figure out a way to work more closely together, at least from a maybe a FAQs, right? Or tech support or, you know, fixes or APIs or whatever it might be. So I think that that's one that I've really seen um, pick up. And you see it in the auto industry, you know, now Tesla saying you can use our batteries, use our technology um, and, and other car companies actually joining together so that they can work together on autonomous vehicles. You see it in the airline industry, which is an example I give in the book when you have um, sort of your loyalty programs mm -hmm. and you're able to hop from one airline, you know, if you're flying international to another airline and it's seamless for you. Okay, that wouldn't have happened had there not been competition, right? If two airlines work together to share the passenger's data and information, because it used to be you'd get off a plane, you had another ticket, you might have to go to another terminal, right? You come right, you know what I mean? It was very complicated. Oh, yeah. You mm -hmm. have to pick up your bag, your bag wouldn't go. And they said, well, hold on a second. Like <laughs> we, want, we want to streamline this. And so it, as airlines work together, there's a great example of, right? In the spirit of the customer experience, um, we want to make it more seamless. We want to also make it more efficient. We want to move people on and off and to other airplanes more quickly because it's expensive to have planes sitting and for all the reasons. But mm -hmm. that's an area where I think uh, many small businesses are um, afraid to go down because they could be overwhelmed by the process behind actually creating those partnerships. One or two, they have way too unrealistic expectations of what they think that partnership will actually deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how you put the customer at the center because any model that I've seen of good ecosystem has the customer at the center. And also I think again, too, you know, coming from that, that place of abundance that, you know, with coopetition, that there's enough to go around, you know, we, we can work together because everyone's going to get fed kind of a thing. Absolutely. It's uh, it, we go back to that mindset, and 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 yet I agree. You know, it is difficult for organizations to let go of 
um, you know, what they think is theirs, you know, I own this, I can't share it, you know, and, and there is legitimate, you know, issues with IP and security and all that stuff. Um, but what I believe that with an attitude of, of abundance and the customer at the center, we can solve for some of these things. I, you know, I loved your whole chapter in the book, you know, that talked about partnerships, you know, you really dive into, I think some of the essence behind it and what makes them work and, probably very good fundamental place to start, you know, in building an ecosystem. So thank you for that. Okay. So are you ready to have some fun? I, okay. I want you to, you know, just dream it's, it's, uh, we're recording this on a Friday. So, you know, we've got the weekend coming. Um, what innovation would you most like to see gain adoption? And it could be anything, it could be business pleasure, whatever. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, right now I feel like uh, education is one we need to get right and healthcare is one we need to get right. Um, you know, if we're going to go into hybrid, like we've had a year where lots of kids weren't uh, in school and, you know, you don't want them to get behind. So I feel like there's so much possibility around education. We just need to nail it. And I also think there's so much around uh, healthcare, right? People who maybe can't drive to a doctor's appointment, you know, getting remote and telehealth getting the ability to talk to doctors, whether it's mental health or physical health, um, you know, immediately is a game changer for those that maybe haven't had access to healthcare in the past. So I feel like those are two areas I hope that I see a lot of innovation, um, but it requires adoption. Back to your, you know, original question is, uh, what would I want to see? That e even if it gets built, it, it has to be adopted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, as we start off, you know, the pandemic forced a lot of adoption. You know, you made that point earlier, you know, as we were talking about, you know, how the pandemic increased uh, and accelerated innovation. So, you know, I like to hope that um, that was one of the things that we all learn is, you know, let's not wait to have our hand forced. <laughs> Absolutely. And and will it continue when it's no longer forced? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, Tiffany, with influencers like you, um, I hope you're going to have 500 more talks with 400,000 more people on many more continents. <laughs> Again, that will uh, help keep all of us on the right track. So I really thank you so much for taking time today. And uh, I'd love to, you know, just talk with 10 more questions, but I appreciate that um, we've got work to do. So thank you for joining us. And um, I hope that uh, you'll come back again. Well, thank you for having me. And in closing, I want to thank all of you, our listeners, for being with us today. Please don't forget to subscribe at www.soundcloud.com, Culture of Innovation. You'll get updates on our new episodes, and you'll also find us on iTunes. And be sure to check us out at www.ridgeinnovative.com. Have a breakthrough day. We'll see you next time.